chapter 5 this morning, which may seem like a really strange text to preach from on Easter Sunday, but we're going to do it anyway. We've been walking through the book of Revelation, which is a a book that uh, most pastors want to avoid. I have never in my years of ministry taught any extended amount of teaching from this book. I've avoided it like the plague because I was scared of it, and yet I didn't realize how much of a book of hope this is and how desperately we need the message of this book today. Because we live in a world that is without hope. Where things seem to be going from bad to worse. But here we find a God on His throne and a Savior for all mankind. What you find here in the book of Revelation is essentially... John's account of the vision that God gave him was as if God had pulled back the veil of heaven and allowed John a sneak peek of what was to come. It's kind of like the previews before you go to the movie theater. You see these previews of movies that are coming in days to come, and you go, well, I want to see that one. Well, that one looks kind of dumb, that kind of thing. John is given a preview of events that are to come, and everything that he saw was so glorious that it's like he's stumbling for words. He's, he's trying to figure out, how do I describe what heaven is like? How do I describe the glory of God that was unveiled for me? And that's what we find here in Revelation chapter 5. He stands there in the throne of God in heaven. And there's this one who comes that's referred to 20 times in this book as the Lamb. And I want you to see him today. If you don't get anything else from your time with us this morning, I hope that you might get a picture of the Lamb. Because he is what Easter is all about. Truthfully, if I were to say it, or it's really my heart right now, he is what everything is all about. All things were created by him and for him, for his glory alone. The very heart that beats in your chest was made by his hands for the purpose of beating for him. The lungs that inflate and deflate with air in your body right now were crafted by Him that you might breathe in His goodness and breathe out praises to His name. Every cell in your body, every atom in existence was created by Him for His glory alone. He is worthy of all the praise. That's what we've been finding in this book. But we're a sinful people who have not given him the honor he deserves so on this easter sunday i want to share with you from revelation chapter 5 what i'm going to refer to this morning as the easter paradox let me give you a definition here of the word paradox a paradox is a seemingly self-contradictory statement that seems absurd but in reality expresses a possible truth let me read that to you again just so you can kind of soak it in 
A paradox is a seemingly self-contradictory statement that seems absurd, but in reality expresses a possible truth. I want to give you three statements this morning that at face value seem utterly absurd. They don't seem to go together whatsoever. It won't make sense to your brain logically at the first hearing of these things. But if you'll dig just a little below the surface, and if you will be bold enough to look into the things that angels long to look into, then you will find the truth that will not only change your life, it'll change your eternity. It'll redirect you on a path that maybe you never saw coming. If you came in this morning and you weren't looking for your life to be changed, then maybe you weren't looking for the right thing today. So here we go. Three paradoxes of Easter. The first one occurs there in verses 5 and 6 of this chapter. You picture the scene there. You're standing before the throne of God and in the right hand of the Lord God Almighty is this scroll, which is the title deed of all creation. And he's looking for someone. This scroll is sealed up with seven seals. And the Lord God Almighty is looking for someone who is worthy to open this scroll, to complete the plan of God, to fulfill all the promises of God. He's looking for someone. And they look in heaven. And they look on earth. And they even look under the earth. They even look in the pits of hell, saying maybe there might be someone, anyone, that's worthy to open the scroll. And John, who's having this vision, begins to lose heart and he begins to weep, to wail outwardly, crying out in deep anguish because just for a moment he loses hope thinking perhaps there won't be anybody. Perhaps the plan of God will remain incomplete. Perhaps sin and death will continue to rule. Perhaps Satan will continue to have his way. And John begins to wail loudly until verse 5. You have these 24 elders seated around the throne of God, which I believe represent the redeemed church, those who have been saved by the blood of Christ. And one of those elders says to him in verse 5, he says, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. For behold, that word behold means look, listen, pay attention, divert all your energies into paying attention to this one thing. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Two titles are given to this one here. The line of the tribe of Judah that takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. The very first book in the Bible. And you find there one of the twelve tribes of Israel was the tribe of Judah. And the promise was made to the tribe of Judah there in the book of Genesis that they would be like a lion, that they would have a ruler, they would be the tribe that would have a ruler that would come from that line that would dwell on the throne of God forever, that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And so John's getting excited at this point. The line of the tribe of Judah is getting ready to be revealed. We're getting ready to see the lion. And the root of David... You go to Isaiah chapter 11 and you see him, the same one referred to, the promised one, the Messiah referred to as the root of David. That may not mean much to you if you don't know who David was, but David was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. He was the greatest leader that led them in their golden age when everything was going so well. He was the one who 
prepared the way for the temple to be built, and his son Solomon did that work. And when they thought of the greatest time in their history, they thought of David, but they also thought of the promises that God had made to David, just like God had made promises to Judah. And then David came as a descendant of Judah. God made promises to David saying, your kingdom's going to be an everlasting kingdom. There's going to be one that's going to rule on your throne forever. And so John is seeing here what's getting ready to be the fulfillment of the promises that have been made to God's people all down through the ages. This lion, this root of David, this king of kings is getting ready to be unveiled. But then look at verse 6. Something strange happens. Something completely unexpected. In verse 6 it says, In between the throne... And the four living creatures, these creatures that were created for the purpose of worshiping God, and among these elders that represent the redeemed church, he said, I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And it was kind of a strange-looking lamb. It's got... Seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll. It's kind of anticlimactic in a way. He's looking at this moment and and expecting the king of kings to come. And when he looks to the throne, expecting to see this powerful and glorious one, what does he see? A lamb. Now, folks, we all know the difference between a lion and a lamb, right? Many of you guys, if you go to the Louisville Zoo like my family does often, you go there and you see the lion, and he is this powerful, massive creature. And when that sucker roars, I mean, it resonates all through the zoo. You can hear him. In fact, the first time we ever heard the lion roar, I thought, certainly that's over the loudspeakers or something. But no, that's just that lion. We were far away from the line, and you could hear him roar the power of that line. And I can guarantee you, nobody's traipsing into the lion's den. It's just not happening. They got this big old pit there. It's like 15 feet across, a big pit between you and him. And he'll get up on his rock, and he struts his chest out there. And you know, nobody's getting in the pit with the lion. It's just not going to happen. Even the trainers, they're tossing the stakes in there, but they're not going to go in the pit with the lion. And then right across from the lion... Just down the way a little bit, there's a petting zoo. Guess what? The lion's not in the petting zoo. In the petting zoo, what do you find? Sheep and goats. Lambs. And my kids love to go in there. I think it's really nasty, but I let them go, and we wash their hands and all that stuff. But nobody's going to go into a petting zoo where a lion is, but nobody's fearful of a lamb, are they? They're meek and mild and gentle creatures, pretty much defenseless as far as animals go. Their only defense is to run away, and oftentimes they're not even smart enough to do that, and so you had to have shepherds that would watch over them. And and you begin to look at these lambs, and you go in, and even biblically, what are lambs good for scripturally? Only one thing, to be slaughtered. That's the purpose of a lamb all throughout scripture. They existed from the very beginning, I believe that when Adam and Eve sinned, and that God, it says that God was gracious enough to prepare clothes for them, I can't help but think, the Bible doesn't say for sure, but I can't help but think that in that day God slaughtered a lamb to clothe them with. 
Because all throughout the Scriptures, we see lambs. They're everywhere from Genesis all in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament days, we see these lambs. And in fact, when Jesus came on the scene and he went to be baptized by John, what did John say of him? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And that sounded like a victory statement, but they didn't realize how he was going to take away the sin of the world. They thought he was going to come as a king on the throne. The long-awaited Messiah was going to come, and he was going to kick the Romans' tails, and he was going to set up his kingdom, and they were all going to be able to rejoice, and they didn't realize that his glory was going to come through suffering. They didn't realize that he was going to demonstrate his sovereignty through his own slaughter. So the first paradox this morning, we all know, we know that sheep don't roar. That may sound like a ridiculous statement this morning. Even we all know the sound that sheep makes, and it sounds nothing like the lion. You go to the Louisville Zoo, and you don't hear the sound of sheep reverberating in the zoo, but you hear the sound of that lion. But here we have a lion-like lamb, perfect in all of his attributes. Look what it says of him. This is symbolic language, not meant to give in our minds this picture of this freakish little lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, but it's symbolic language. John is trying to help us to comprehend what he saw that language can't fully describe. And he says he has seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And the idea here of horns, horns are always a symbol of power. And when it says here he has seven horns, it's saying that he is perfect in his power. He is all-powerful. All power is his, a lamb. This meek, mild, gentle creature has now received all the power in the universe. Every bit of it is his. And he has seven eyes. Lambs could probably use seven eyes because they're constantly getting killed by other creatures. They probably need some in the back of their heads and all around themselves to be able to see this lamb sees everything. He has perfect perception, perfect vision. His wisdom is perfect in every way. He is all-knowing. And with him comes the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That means he is perfect in his presence. He is all places at all times. He is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And a lamb. What do we do with that? We come into Easter and we're used to hearing the story of the stone rolled away and the, the body's not there and the, and the women are going running telling the disciples. But we don't often think about the lamb that was slain. And the fact that in our world, sheep don't roar, but this one does. Because when this one rose from the dead, the lamb who was slain, when he rose up from the dead, there was a roar like you've never heard before. It was the roar of a multitude of angels praising God, rejoicing in what they had seen, knowing that the law of sin and death had been defeated and the grave could not hold the king of kings. So we know that sheep don't roar. Look at verse 6 with me. Going on from where we stopped there, he sees this lamb, and what is the lamb like? Standing as though it had been slain. There's a law at work in our world today. It's called the law of sin and death. It may not be taught like the laws of thermodynamics and the law of gravity and those sorts of things, but I'll tell you this. 
the law of sin and death has more bearing on the lives of those in this room than any other law of creation. Here's what the law of sin and death says. The law of sin and death says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all broken the law of God and are deserving of the wrath of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room. And you can spend your life trying to compare your sins with others and saying, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm not as immoral as she is. But the reality is all of us have sinned, and the Bible also says the due result, the wages, what we deserve because of our sin is death. And that word doesn't just mean physical death, like one day our body's going to get old and it's going to die. But it means that from the moment we enter into this world, we are already spiritually dead. That that soul in us that God created to dwell with Him is dead because of the effects of sin. And what do we know about the law of sin and death? It proves true 100% of the time. The Bible says it's appointed once for each of us to die. And then comes the judgment. We know this law. We experience has, how many of us have not been to the funeral home in the last 12 months? Have not had a pet die? Have not seen some of the trees that bloomed so well a few years ago now dead and having to be cut down in our yards so they don't fall upon our houses? The law of sin and death is at work all around us. We see it and we know it and there's, I believe, within us something that tells us this is not how it should be. When I go to the funeral home and I see a friend or a family member or even a member of this church and I see them laying in the casket, I don't look at that and go, well, that seems about right. No, there's something within us that cries out and says, there's something not right here. We see the law of sin and death at work that we have all sinned and the wages of sin is death. Death is the due result of sin in our world, but it's still comes to us as not quite being right. But we know this. We know the slain don't rise. People die and dead people stay dead, right? Isn't that how it works in our world? Let's be honest. How many of you have been to the funeral lately where the dude pops up out of the casket? I guarantee you, you'll be telling the story, right? After you've run away and had your heart attack and you know all that kind of stuff, you, you'll be telling that story because we know when you go to the funeral home and you see someone there in that casket, a loved one, you don't expect that they're going to come back to life. You expect that you're going to take that body and you're going to go out into a field somewhere and you're going to bury that person. That's the law of sin and death. The slain don't rise up, but this one did. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Folks, that's the message of Easter. The good news, the celebration of this day is not Easter egg hunts and family gatherings. It's none of those things. The celebration of this day is the fact that the law of sin and death has been trumped by Jesus Christ. That sin and death have reigned in our world since Adam and Eve chose disobedience to God rather than doing things God's way, which each and every one of us in this room have done. 
We could point our finger at Adam and Eve, but the truth of the matter is we all have done the exact same thing. And we're completely incapable of doing anything else in and of ourselves. But Jesus came, the perfect Son of God. And He who knew no sin of His own became sin for us so that we might in Him become the righteousness of God. That's what Easter's all about. Please don't walk away today not knowing. Not knowing that we have a risen Savior who defeated death, hell, and the grave for you. And He is offering to you the greatest gift that you could ever possibly receive. No Easter basket will come near, near touching what Christ is offering you today. But we all know the slain don't rise, right? One more this morning. You might be sitting there and just thinking, you know what? It's all fine and good. And, you know, I've heard this story about Jesus before. And maybe to you it sounds like a bunch of folklore and fairy tales. I want to tell you this morning, take the time. You go and research for yourself the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most well-documented facts of all antiquity there are countless witnesses to this fact on one given day over 500 people saw him after he had been crucified saw him alive and well and teaching and eating and dwelling among his disciples you go and research it for yourself and if you come away from that research saying well i still don't believe it then come and talk to me. But I want to say to you this morning, we look at these things, and maybe we're going, you know, it's all fine and good, but what does it have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. What He did for you, the reason for the Lamb who was slain, His resurrection was to demonstrate the glory of God to you so that you might know Him and walk in the pathway that He began that first Easter Sunday. And so He comes and He takes that scroll, the title deed of all creation, in His hand. And the immediate response is worship there in the throne room of heaven. And they began, in verse 9, they began to sing a new song. And what were they singing? They were singing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why was He worthy? Because you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I want to show you one word. This is the word of Easter. It's the word ransom there in verse 9. Your version of God's word may have bought, and that's just as good of a word. But if you go back to the Greek text, and this was originally written in the Greek language, you'll find this is a very particular word. He just didn't choose any old word. This was a word that was only used in the marketplaces of John's day. Now, the marketplace in John's day was like Walmart for us, okay? Everybody went to the marketplace. That's where you got all your stuff. But I can guarantee you that if we were to go with 
the Apostle John on a journey to the marketplace, there would be one thing in that marketplace that would we wouldn't be able to keep our eyes off this one section of the marketplace because I'm going to guarantee you, you don't see this in Walmart. Because there was always a section of the marketplace where slaves were sold. Now don't get the wrong idea. In our country, when we think of slavery, it's always thought of as a racial issue. But in John's day, it wasn't really a racial issue. It was a financial issue. Slaves were often those who had become so impoverished and had built up so much debt that they could not repay their debts, and so they would literally sell themselves into slavery in hopes of repaying their debts. Most never did. They would sell themselves, their wives, their children into slavery in hopes that they could be able to work off their debt, but most would spend the remainder of their lives in that debtor's camp known as slavery. But every once in a while there would come along some benevolent soul. Perhaps he had had a good inheritance. Perhaps he had made a lot of money that year and just wanted to do something nice for somebody else. And he would come in to that marketplace and he would walk right up into the slave market and he would begin to bid on one of those slaves. And he would pay the purchase price. He would pay the debt of that slave for the purpose of setting them free. Not that they would come and serve him in his home, but just to set them free. That's this word. Folks, please hear me. Please hear me today. If you think Easter is just another holiday, please, please, I beg of you, hear me. Every one of us has on our heads a debt we cannot pay. And you live your life in the slave market of the law of sin and death, which says that because you have sinned against a holy God, you are deserving of only one thing, and that's death. That you'll live your life covered in this sin debt until you die. And just like God said to Adam as a result of his sin, in dying you shall die. First there will be this spiritual death. We're born spiritually dead in this world. And then coming with that will be this physical death, which will ultimately exhibit itself in an eternal death, separated from God forever in a place called hell that was never meant for us, but which we can choose to go if we choose not to go to the one who paid our debt. And so he ransomed us, not with common money, but with his blood, the most precious thing that he had. He ransomed you. He walks right into the slave market of sin and death. And he raised his hand and he paid the price for your sin. And if that wasn't enough, I mean, that would be enough, right? 
To be set free from the law of sin and death would be enough, but but the reality is many of those slaves, many of those slaves who were set free by some benevolent soul, they ended up back in the slave market. Why? Because they still had nothing. Because they still had nothing. Never once did a king come. Come into that slave market and bid on any of those slaves, set them free, and then say, you know what? Why don't you come live in the palace with me? In fact, I've got a spare crown. Why don't you put that on your head? I've got some new, beautiful purple robes. Why don't you clothe yourself in those? And I've got a place for you right next to me on my throne. Why don't you come sit with me? And I'm not playing around here. Why don't you not just come sit with me, but why don't you reign with me? That's what it says right here, folks. This is the glorious truth of Easter Sunday. He says, you've ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And the last line says, and they shall reign on the earth. But we know this. We know that slaves don't reign. We're okay with the idea of setting slaves free, emancipation, we're good with all that, but slaves don't reign. But on Easter they do. Folks, if you think Easter is a one day a year holiday, you've missed it. Easter is an eternal state for those who who've been redeemed by the purchase price of the blood of the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the whole world, and that includes you. No matter what you've done, you're not excluded. No matter how great your debt, you're not excluded. No matter whether in your self-righteousness you think, well, I'm not really so bad, you're still not excluded. That the king of kings has stepped out of heaven and stepped into the earth, into the slave market of this world. And he paid the purchase price of his blood for you. Here's the beauty of his sacrifice. He won't force you to come live in the palace with him. If you want to stay in the slave market, if you want to live out your life with the burden of your sin debt upon you, a debt that you will never be able to pay, you will never be good enough. You may be saying this morning, well, I would come to Jesus, but i got a few things I need to clean up first. You'll never get clean enough. Trust me, you'll never get clean enough. Well, i got a few issues that I, that I want to work through before. No, it'll never happen. No slave could ever free himself. He needed the one to come and pay his debt. So the question of Easter is this. Will you put your faith and trust in the Lamb who was slain? He is a roaring lion.
and the roars of his praises reverberate through heaven even in this moment, even when we sing half-heartedly, even when we sit back lackadaisically, not really interested in what's going on in church, there are roars in heaven today for the Lamb who was slain. And we know the slain that don't, don't rise, but they, but they did and they do because of Easter. And why? His purpose was to redeem for God a people. Bought by His blood. To rule and to reign with Him over all creation for all eternity. If you think that heaven is going to be sitting around on clouds with little harps and singing boring songs for all eternity, you have missed it. And I don't want you to miss it. There is more glory in heaven than the greatest of days you will ever have on this earth. It's more majestic than all the wonders of this creation. There is more waiting in store for us. The question of Easter is, will you put your faith in the Lamb who was slain for you? Will you trust Him? It's, that, it's really that simple. Will you believe that the debt is paid and you are free not just to go back to your old life? Because why would you want to? What slave would ever want to return to the slave market? No, we're set free. And the Bible says that those who are free are free indeed. Free now, now not to wallow in sin and death, but free to rule with Him who paid our sin debt at the cross and welcomes us into his kingdom, those who would trust him by faith. Is that you this morning? You didn't get to choose the law of sin and death, but you can choose this. You can choose life and peace in Jesus Christ. You were born into a world burdened by sin. But there's another world coming that you can be a part of if you will take the Son of God at His word. Just like Jeannie told us earlier, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Everybody who looks to the debt payer can be redeemed. The price has already been paid. The one question that remains is, will you receive what's been done for you? And we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you just bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes, nothing weird's going to happen. I just want to give you a moment of quiet reflection. We're going to share what we call a song of commitment, song of response this morning. I believe with all my heart that whenever we hear the Word of God preached and proclaimed, it demands a response. This morning, if you find yourself here in this place and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your response 
should be that heart full of utter thankfulness. Thank you, God. For saving my sin-soaked soul from death and hell and the grave. God, you're worthy every breath I breathe, every moment of my life, you're worthy because you bought me with the blood of your precious Son. And so I don't want to just sing for you, God. I I want to live for you every, every day of my life devoted to who you are because you're worthy of that and so much more. And I don't have to live in fear of death anymore because I know that death is just a pathway into the fullness of eternal life that you've already given me in Christ. But perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you would be really honest. Say, you know what, I I don't know this Jesus. I don't know the Lamb who was slain. I'm still living completely under the restraints of the law of sin and death. And I hate it. And I want to be free. Would you know this morning that freedom is found in Jesus Christ? It will not be found in trying harder or doing more. It will not be found in good works or good relationships. It will be found in Christ alone. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way. But this way is open for all people. And if you would choose to be among that number this morning, and as we stand and sing, here's what I would invite you to do, to step out from where you are, to come down one of these aisles. I'm not going to embarrass you and point you out to everyone. I just want to sit down here on the front row with, with you and share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior, how you can receive this gift of eternal life, how you can understand the fullness of what Easter is all about. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, then we invite you to come. Father God, I pray. God, move among us in power. Show us what it's like when the dead come to life. Show us what it's like when darkness flees before the perfect light of your Son. And may we respond with hearts full of obedient faith to your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation of God ends. I pray that if God has been speaking to your heart this morning, that he'll do what I've seen God do in my life so many times. He will not leave you alone. And you may have chosen this morning to ignore what He's done for you. The great news of our gracious King is, for right now, that's okay. 
His grace continues. I can't say how long it'll continue. And I challenge you, don't put him off. But I believe he'll keep pursuing you. We're going to take up our offering right now if our, if our ushers would come to the front. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know the only thing we would desire... Oh, we already did. Oh, we did that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so used to it. I'm so used to it. It's, it just happens. We usually do it at the end of our services, so anyway. We won't take up another offering. We've already done that. He's trying to double do That's all right. Last Sunday morning, 8 o'clock service, I totally forgot the offering altogether, so it, we're just doubling up for my mistakes, but... Pastors are people too. That's what I tell other people all the time. Uh, we just want you to know that you're loved. If you don't have uh, a church family where uh, you regularly uh, attend, we would love to have you here. If you've not already, I hope you have known this morning the love of Christ through his people. You know that this is a place where we love people. Even those of us that are hard to love. And I can very much be one of those. And so we want you to be here. We want you, even if right now you're going, you know what, I don't really know what to do with all this. This whole gospel and Jesus thing, just a little too much for me right now. That's okay. But just come back. Allow God to do that work that only He can do. There's, there's nowhere else you're going to find it. You're not going to find a peace that passes all of your understanding anywhere else in this world. I don't care where you go. You can get all the degrees. You can get all the accolades. You can win all the awards. And it's still you're going to find a hollowness in your soul that seeks to be filled. And you can go through relationship after relationship after relationship. And you can make your first million and your second million and your third million. You can do it all. At the end of the day, we were all created with a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by an infinite God who loves you with an infinite love and for whatever strange reason desires a relationship with you. That as a seven-year-old boy desired a relationship with me, a messed-up seven-year-old kid, As we go out today, we're going to end our service. But I know that God's going to continue to pursue you. And I just encourage you, open yourself up to being pursued. He'll blow your mind. Let's pray. We're going to sing our way out today. Guys, what are we going to sing? We're going to sing a song called 10,000 Reasons. This is Neil's favorite song. And so uh, we're going to sing this song as we go out today. Uh, God bless you. Happy Easter. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us. Thank you that though Easter is a paradox, it reveals the greatest truth we could ever know. Of a roaring lamb who stands as though slain and ransoms slaves to sin by His own blood so that we might reign with Him.
that gives us more than 10,000.